Lumiere asked me to kind of give a speech, but I didn't really have too much time to prepare one, write it out, you know, all of those good things. So just bear with me. Um, and what I had did have prepared kind of changed tonight because when I walked in here, there was another little girl here about two years old. And my daughter's here with me tonight. She's eight. And it was just amazing to see just the innocence and the love that they could just automatically had for one another. You know, they just came in, my daughter saw her, she saw Ella and it was, they were like fast friends. And, you know, Ella sat down with her and they were playing on the tablet together and just watching a movie. And, you know, they, they've never met each other before, but all they knew was that they were two kids and hey, the adults are busy and this is boring, so let's just play. And let's just have a good time. And that's, we could really learn a lot from that because we don't have to take things so serious all the time where we're not able to connect on a personal basis or even just on, on a surface basis with one another. We're too wrapped up in, okay, well, what are their political beliefs? What are their spiritual beliefs? What, what religion are they? What color are they? Whatever. Instead of just looking at, hey, you're another person. Let's, let's talk. Let's, let's cut it up. You know, let's just do what we do and build some kind of community and um, love again, loving on one another and pouring into one another. Right. So again, it was just, it was just amazing to just kind of sit back and see the two girls just playing together just so innocently. And my daughter really just kept, you know, as the little girls running around, my daughter kept chasing her and was really, you know, giving her, helping her get snacks and helping her just, you know, take care of everything so that, that her dad could work and set up for this event and everything. And it was just, it was just so heartwarming to see that. Um, so, you know, with that being said, I think that it's one thing about community is community is great, but there's so many times that we have a struggle with egos in community and struggle with, you know, excuse my, my language, but it's kind of a pissing contest between all the organizations. And, you know, we're always fighting over the same po small little pot of a little, uh, it's, it's not even a full pot of gold that we fight over, right? It's just little remnants at the bottom. And it's like, instead of coming together and working together and building each other up and empowering one another and pouring into one another with our resources and thing, and our learned experiences, we continue to fight amongst ourselves. So we can't expect our children to be able to have a sense of community if we ourselves can't show that to our kids as they're growing up and instilling that in them when we ourselves don't have it. And so many, you know, black rage is not only on the, the black experience, right? But it also speaks to indigenous communities, Latinx communities, you know, Asian communities, all of the communities of color, all the BIPOC people, because we all in some way, shape or form have suffered from white supremacy. And it may be in different ways, but we've all felt the same effects of it. And the only way for us to ever rise above that is to, for us to come together as a united front and fight it together. And that's not, and when we're doing that work, we don't have any room for egos in that. Um, and, you know, even right now, our, polit our current political climate has changed drastically within the last few years with having 
Native American women first time sitting on, you know, being a part of all that and, and, you know, just so many women of color. And I mean, come on now, Kamala Harris, like, let's give it up for her, right? Because she's breaking that glass ceiling. And we are finally being heard and seen in a way that we've never done before. So we need to continue with that momentum because we're no longer asking for equality. We're past that. We're no longer even wanting just equity. We need excellence, right? And in order to build a community of excellence, we have to do that together. I mean, like when I talk about excellence, I mean excellence in education. Like our children deserve to be in a nurturing and fulfilling environment where they're able to learn in culturally responsive ways. And they're not shunned or looked at some other kind of way for being different than what should be the norm, right? But we're actually learning from each other and even our, our kids' differences and creativity and really just keeping that up. And then, again, excellence in it and entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism. We have some of the most creative, brilliant, inspiring minds in the world, in the BIPOC community. I mean, even so much so that our ideas and our inventions and our, you know, things have been stolen from us and, you know, to make somebody else richer. But we have the, the ability to do it again. But we have to be pre prepared and willing to take the extra step to make sure that we're supporting each other's entrepreneurial endeavors um, instead of continuing to make the 1% even richer. Excellence in healthcare. Minority communities face the same illnesses white people do, yet BIPOC suffer more severe symptoms and higher mortality rates due to an inadequate healthcare access. We talk about healthcare being a human right, but our people are just suffering so much more than anybody else out here. Excellence in real estate, no more gentrification. It's time that we, you know, but again, we're not going to get there if we don't pour into one another and help each other build and empower and not give a hand out, but give a hand up. Um, and again, this is not something that we are just now coming to the realization that we would like to have. It's something that is with, literally within our reach now. Um, we have to have that, that united mindset of community healing and collective resilience. We, can't re we cannot move forward and strive for a better future until we heal from our past traumas and become dedicated to empowering one another, thus building a united community for all to thrive. Um, acknowledging similarities in, in interjection intergenerational traumatic experiences in all BIPOC communities and destigmatizing the existence of mental and emotional health challenges by addressing our shared trauma as a social, political, and collective issue, not just an individual experience. So again, I call, I just want to again thank all of you for being here with us and if we could just really be in the mindset tonight of how can we support one another and how can we build that unity and community and strive for the excellence that we all deserve. So uh, with all that being said, um, I would like to call up um, Kenya Fashaw to recite one of her spoken words for us. Poems. I am a spoken word poet. Uh, I have two poems that I want to kind of share with you guys, one dealing with um, just black women, being black women, you know, and mental health, because I think those are very important right now. 
um, with everything going on. It's been important for black women, but it's time to kind of uh, kind of face that and kind of kind of talk about it now, if that makes sense. Um, so this poem, this first poem that I'm going to do is called Curvy Black, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Thank you. I mean, as a performer, what you give the performer is what you give back. So if the energy is right, then we good. We good up in here. All right, so this is that poem. Curvy and black, thick, brick, house like that. Matter of fact, you could say that she's stacked, racked, or built like a stallion. Everybody bow when she come around. It's like that. I've always understood that a black woman's hips were strong enough to sink ships because of the burdens that she's been forced upon not to be bold, not to be outspoken, or even to be sugar cane thick, not knowing that her words can only speak sweeter than honeydew. But society says, never mind her mind and undermine everything that honey do. And then here come you, the world, wanting to ridicule the cinnamon glide in her backside. Something that she built this nation on, something that they hate her on, but try so damn hard to take her form. Don't align your fakeness to her greatness. Quit parading her breasts because you can't seem to climb over the power in her rolling heels. Don't envy and then empty her sculpture into your trash. I'll call you a thief because you've stolen her body parts, put them on display and made a mock of her body's art when all she really needed was the hands of her community to mold her canvas to protect and protect and respect the black woman at all costs. See, without community, we are lost. See, her frame has framed the faces of this nation, but because of the lion in her glow, they want to nickname her Intimidation. But isn't she just a woman? I mean, ain't I just a woman? You know, the kind of woman that likes designer things, like designer purses, never wanting to ride in the back of a designer hearse. See, it's a curse to be loved and to be hated all at the same damn time. And go ahead and call me an angry black woman for what I believe is called genocide because when a black woman dies in a jail cell, is it still considered a suicide or, I mean, a homicide, right? Right. See, her silhouette should not be a threat because she is black, because she is female, or because she has roll tongue and quick language on her mouth. She is mother. She is queen. She is daughter, she is sister. With tears that exceeds her pain, just asking you to always give her respect and to remember her name. Can y'all say Sandra Bland? Sandra Bland, Brianna Taylor. Rest in power, queens, because you're curvy and black. Thick brick house like that. Matter of fact, you can say that she's stacked, racked, or built like a stallion. Everybody bow when she come around. It's like that. That's that piece, y'all. Okay, I feel y'all's energy. We good, we good. I feel the energy. We all right, we all right, we all right, we all right. Um, so this poem um, is just a mental health piece that I wrote. So hope you guys enjoy. Every morning, I wake up. I take a paintbrush and I dip it into the color of mahogany. I take that same paintbrush and begin to paint a smile on my face. 
making sure that I look closely into the mirror so that I can fill in, you know, all those blotches of abandonment and abuse. No excuse, just cover, girl, girl. Cover up those black-headed secrets you've had hidden inside your pores for years. Or try Maybelline, maybe lean to the left. Maybe they'll miss your missteps. Inhale breath. <sighs> now go out into this world, girl, and smile. My smile. I often mistake it for attire. Putting it on one smirk at a time, hoping that I don't catch words of fire. You know those same old people asking the same old lines like, hey, how you doing? So I have to smile audaciously and say, I'm fine. Knowing deep down inside that anxiety has moved in on my mind, heartbeats increasing and increasing depression. It's been hungry, been feasting. But no time to deal, gotta push through. No time to feel because that's what grandma and them say do, right? They say, pray about it, baby. Don't let that get to your head. But grandma, I gotta do more than prayer because faith without work is dead. How do you go to the hospital and check on the illness of your body instead on what your mind is being fed? So I smile because I am black and I am a woman, but I have to smile because I am a woman and I am black, feeling like I'm always having to smile, always stressing through this double oppression. See, I smile so that they're comfortable with this black girl's flesh, because God forbid I'm seen smiling while black and now, you know, certain people see that as a threat. So how do you cope? J. Cole, the greatest rapper alive, said it's better to meditate than to medicate, and I think that's dope. What, what about the ones so entrapped inside their minds they can't seem to find their hope? Hoping that this ill mental will get easier to battle with thoughts that are so harsh, but at the same time, so fragile. So we have our mask on. And then we take it off, mask off, mask on, smile big, smile bright, so nobody asks, hey, what's wrong? I heard him say that it's okay not to be okay. So how do you stay afloat? See, I lift the corners of my mouth, because that's the only way that I cope. See, I smile every now and then, see, I smile. Even though I hurt, see, I smile. Cause I know God is working, so I smile. Just smile. That's that piece, y'all. Thank you guys so much. Yes, she did that. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, I love, I love hearing Kenya speak every time I hear her. And this was actually my third time, and I did not really have much time to prepare for this, but um, Amadou is a native of, of Senegal and a media strategist by profession and a community activist. Um, currently, currently works with the African Leadership Group, a nonprofit organization that aims to facilitate the professional integration of African immigrants in the U.S., he also owns a lifestyle and educational clothing brand. So doing many big things. So let's give it up for them. Sorry, just one, <laughs> just, just real quick. Um, we're going to do the interview session with them now. And then uh, that's right after that, we will go into the Q&A for the audience. Can I just say that um, the two women that came up here, 
that was powerful. And then I was just sitting there kind of crying, going through a mixture of emotions. So thank you, Kenya, for that. That was so blessful. So can everybody just give her a round of applause again? That was amazing. Thank you everyone for um, joining us today, and um, that was great. Kenya, thank you for blessing us with your words, um, and thank you for that introduction as well. Um, Alright, so we are here today to talk about this amazing book, Black Rage, um, by an amazing person, and I guess we all know who Lumiere is, by uh, meeting her just at community events, but just also around um, the community. But just for the sake of it, and I also know you get a lot of pleasure right, from talking about yourself, so I'll let you do that. Um, I love talking about myself. <laughs> Alright, so um, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, so I am Lumiere Fukasa. Depending on where you come from, you say it differently. It's here is Lumiere, but it's Lumiere. I am originally from Congo, DRC, and I came here as a refugee immigrant. I am an author. Um, I also have a nonprofit that does work in the community, and the nonprofit is called Education for Africa. Among many things, those are the things that I like to associate myself with, and a storyteller, I guess you can say. Great. Um, thank you for that introduction. So, um, this book, I know we've talked about it many times, but um, just the title itself has a lot of meaning in it, but it's also not a novel, it's a collection of stories. So there's two stories in here um, that we will talk about in depth. Um, but first of all, and, and I know as, as a storyteller, right, there are a lot of stories competing for your attention in your mind, um, but also when it comes to writing, writing the stories, but definitely at the end where you have to choose your stories and it's a little bit kind of a mother deciding to abandon some of the kids when you only have two stories to put in a book. First of all, tell us um, your process of writing this book. What was the, the idea and the urge that you felt to write it, but also choosing those two specific stories to be on the book? Okay, funny story. So I started this book in class instead of doing my homework and my work school, my school work. I was writing this book only because I went to DU and each time that I was in a classroom and a story was being told about Africa, about women, black women specifically, it was always being told from a white woman's perspective or a colonist perspective. And so every single time I read a book, and I remember there was this particular book where I was reading, and I didn't read that book, um, and I told the teacher that if I'm going to get an F on this, I will get an F because I'm not going to read this book and I will not um, take notes on it. And I remember it was talking about Africa and it was talking about the women in Africa and it was talking about, um, it was just belittling them and dehumanizing who they were. And so I, I had a sense of rage and I was like, we need to have people writing story about us. We need to have us writing stories about us instead of having other people that do not know where we come from. They have a, a perception of where we come from, but they don't know where we come from. So this black rage was me as a black woman, as an African woman, as an immigrant woman, writing a story from our perspective about our realities. Great, and I think you did a great job doing that. Um, so here's the thing, part of the of the thing is when, when we decide to write our own stories, right, then we are faced with the fact that 
even us just being ourselves is, is complicated. There's, there's all uh, multiple layers of what it means to be us. Right? And, and, and I guess that is also shown through both stories. One of them is said in the Congo, which is where you are from, and we follow this young lady to go through all these things. And the other one is said here, where we follow also a black woman through her struggles. And we also live in a world where, you know, we do hear a lot of things identifying as black, identifying as, as African, identifying as, as, as immigrant. And in reality, there are multiple layers that makes you who you are. So how important was it for you uh, or for the characters to show that, that complexity of, of who they are and to really follow them in their stories? I think I have seen a lot of division between Africans and blacks that grew up here. And then we don't realize that we are both African and we are both black. And I think everywhere we go, for me, we carry Africa in us. And so there's a quote in the book that says, um, Africa is my DNA and blackness is my imprint. And so that's just to say that there, we are very much connected and we're not separate. Our experiences are so connected in every single way. And I think we should cherish that instead of saying, well, you are are from Africa and I'm from here and it's like we are all the same and we 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 come from the same place you know we carry the same seed so that's what I want to convey right great um, there's also a quote in the book that says you cannot fight what you don't understand right which is a quote that is told to Faraha as he's trying to I'm doing better with the names of the characters I've been practicing um, but what what was what are you trying to convey through that? Because there's also a lot of stories that are, that, that are being told in the book, right? We we in the second story specifically, um, there's a lesson that's being taught, and it goes through the uh, colonization of of Congo and the things that are happened. And when you go back to the first story, we see how important it is for um, young students of colors to see to see people who are like them to help them not only through school but all of that so how how what is the message that you were trying to convey there and how important was it for you if you know who you are and this is something that i convey in the in the book is you cannot take my identity away because my identity is my soul if i know who i am you can never deprive me of who i am and so that one thing that i i see a lot in this generation and i work here by the way if you don't know that um and so this quote became more important because i saw a lot of black boys that don't know who they are i saw a lot of black girls that are living life as if they are not excellent. They are, you know, they have their heads kind of like pointing down instead of pointing high. And I'm like always looking at them like, you do not know who you are, do you? You do not know the power that's in you, do you? And it's always like they follow what they try to see elsewhere, but they don't realize that in them they have kings and queens. They come from a rich history. And I remember specifically, and this is why it's so important for us as a people to teach our kids about their history, past colonialism and slavery. Um, students here, black students here, they're so discouraged, they don't know what they can accomplish. And with that, they're always like, well, I'm like, let's talk about history. Miss, why do we always talk about slavery? I'm like, you do not know the history that you come from. And if you knew, you wouldn't speak the way that you do. And so, I think as a community, 
we have that responsibility to teach our kids because if we don't, who's going to? You know, the schools that they go to, they get taught but from a white man's perspective. So who are they? We need to tell them who, who they are through education and just through communication. Definitely, and I think this, uh, this book does a great job of that. Um, and the story also goes beyond what, colon what um, colonization is and what it did. Um, we also see the story of um, Queen Amina, right? And also, um, by the way, this is just a, this is just a great um, sad way, but this book was published about a year ago, of course, and then the story of Queen Amina was just published in Netflix about a week ago. So some of the stories that I mentioned here, there's really a lot of research that goes into it, and there's a richness of the story behind it, and why the story itself is being told. Um, me, myself, reading the story and, 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 and following for her and her grandmother telling the stories, um, that is something that I went through myself as, as, as a young kid growing up in Senegal, and you sit around and you do that. Um, and, and I felt like that's something that you also wanted to remember from your past, but there's also a lot of this book that I feel like comes from you and the people that are around you. Just how much of this book um, really comes from you and, and, and your environment, right? Because also nonfiction sometimes can serve as a way to, to convey our lives and perhaps say what we are not allowed to say in everyday life. So both stories are actually from based on true stories. Um, they are extracted from my own personal life and my own personal experience, and then what I have seen. The second, the first story is um, the strength of a black woman, and it basically um, goes over the idea of strong black women and how that can sometimes be detrimental when it comes to black women seeking help because sometimes we we put black women at this standard where they have to go through everything without actually speaking about it you know and, and that was me the second story is kangamotema which basically is lingala for closed heart and that came at a time period where sexual violence i mean sexual violence in congo is always so huge um, but it came at a time where there was a woman that was like a celebrity and she was you know beaten by her husband and then i was like oh i can use that title so i don't know if i i, I copy right now and anyway um so so after that i started to realize that there's a lot of similarities between the two i come from a background where the second story is actually my story mixed with my friend's stories. And when that, when I was going through that, by the way, the second story talks about um, a woman that was molested from a very young age. And she basically was pushed at this point where she had to be silent. Because if she spoke, they were going to use it against her, blackmailing her. So she thought that she was at fault. And so, um, that was me, by the way. And then I never really understood my power. And so the way I'm telling the story is how I was at a vulnerable place and how I needed to hear stories about powerful women that spoke up, powerful women that took a stand and said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to speak up, even if it cost us something. And so it was important for me to put in the stories of Queen Amina, Queen Zinga, um, because they represent courage in all its forms. And I wanted to show women that go through that, that 
you can be courageous in your vulnerability, in your strength, and in any way possible. Um, I know we only had four questions, but I will just go ahead and ask another one. All right, great. Um, I'm not great at following rules. Uh, uh, all right, so there's one, one, one thing that I just wanted to touch on, and that is the complexity that comes with being an immigrant, right? And especially when, um, and I'm just talking from experience as, as African immigrants, and we know a lot of immigrants, whether they're from Africa or not, even though they live in different societies now, we still worry a lot about what's going on in their own countries. And a lot of these people, even though not being in those countries anymore, are the ones that are sending money and taking care of family. We see that within the story of um, Faraha, where her, her dad is still sending money so she can, so she can go to school. But also, in, in your case, as, as the author, and I know um, Congo is, is so close to your heart, especially even if you're a nonprofit organization helping kids in Congo and all of that. But also, in the story, we see that there's a lack of infrastructure, right? There's a, there, there's a lady, and I think her name is Enzita, again. If there is any Congolese people, forgive me, I'll mess up these names. Smashing up the names, we're bad, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, but you're right, so we see Enzita being, uh, being beaten by her husband, but there's also a fact that her family did not have enough money to take her to the hospital that same day, right? But I, that also speaks to the fact that even in our poor countries, hospitals will not take care of you if you do not have the money, even though we know everybody that's being served is poor. Um, for you, I, I, I want to know how, how close, and I know Congo is so close to your heart, but just that complexity of being an immigrant, leaving here, you know how stressful that life is, but also still having the courage and, and the love for a country that is so far, but having the love for the people to worry about what's going on there and still having a non-profit or doing anything else to help and better the life for those people out there. Um, for the lack of infrastructure, I really do think America don't got infrastructure either, but that's my, that's my opinion. Um, but I, I think in, in African countries, there's this lack of support that the government, you know, does or doesn't do, where even if you are at a point where you need the most help from the people that you trust and you voted for, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get that help. So in the story with Zita, um, she was beaten by her husband while pregnant. So she lost her baby, and she even lost her life through the process. Um, and the family didn't have money. That is not because they're lazy. That's not because they don't have it. You know, they are living in a country that does not support nor invest in them. And that's something that we see a lot in in African countries, and specifically for Congo, is that we are um, in a country that is so rich and yet so poor that it's placing women at the bottom. Um, children at the bottom and so that becomes a problem because it shows us the importance of infrastructure in um, the betterment of its people and its women because I do believe if you educate a woman you educate an entire community I'm not saying that the men you know because y'all do too but um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, we, I'm, I come from a society that does not invest in women, nor does it help women. And so we are vulnerable. And so that's just a way for me to show the reality of it. Um, but yeah, even here too with the healthcare system. But don't get me started on that. All right, great. Um, thank you. I, I think at this point, we are good to open it up to. Did you have any more questions? You have time for one more question if you did. 
All right, great. I do actually have one more question. All right, um, I, I just wanted to touch on, 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 on mental health, but also um, there's one thing that you told me that you really wanted to talk about, and that is the fact that in these stories, at least in the first story, most specifically, we do see um, the impact of a positive black man role model. And how, how important was that for you to show, and why specifically did you decide to showcase that in the first story? Okay, so that's where the men comes into conversation. Yay, we are talking about men now. Um, so it was important for me to show that because as black boys, right, I'm a black woman that one day I will give birth to black boys and black girls, right? And so with that, I always keep in mind that those kids need to be educated. Those kids, um, they need someone to be there for them that show them the example. I'll give you an example. I mean, I come to, I, I, again, I work at this school. It's amazing. Um, and there's a lot of boys that come to my office and I speak to them on a daily basis and I try to get them to understand their power. And sometimes in my head, I'm like, I can I can only I can teach you so only I can teach you so much right there's other things that I want a black man to teach you there's a black experience that only a black man experiences that they can transmit to a black boy for their education purposes and for them to be upheld you know and so I think the way I turned out to be, my mother contributed to that, but my father as well, having that father figure, that, that positive father figure, and that positive black man in your life pushing you and being there for you, I think that's important. And so I think as a community, we need to understand that black men are needed. We need black men. We need the presence of black men in homes, in communities, and if we have events, you know, there's always a lot of women that I see. There's black men that we need at the forefront, making the change, commanding things in the community as well. So I wanted to depict that because Kumba, that's the character of the in the book, the, the men in the book, he was always there in community events, and he was always there like mentoring, um, black boys that have left prison or men that have left prison, his presence was always there in the community and it made such a ripple effect of change. And I started to see like, wow, this can be so powerful because we're living in a generation and in a world and in a country that really does not want black boys to thrive. So we have to keep that in mind. How can we combat that? Right, um, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> So we are getting for the uh, audience questions. Is there anybody that would like to start? Your name, please. My name is Lindley. Um, so my question is, what age group did you write your book for? Because you tackle a lot of complex issues, but it's also the language that you use is simple enough that high school students, if they're reading this, they would understand it. But the issues that you face, it's like some parents wouldn't want their children exposed to it, but it's the reality that so many black children and black youth face at a young age, middle school age, that we that young girls experience sexual assault, high school age when they start to see the impacts of an absent parent or domestic abuse in their lives. So what age group did you write your book for? Um, so again, I made it simple so that it can be read by anyone. And 
my point is the the stories in the book and the topics in the book may be heavy but it's the reality like you said so why not talk about it and why not change the lens that's why in the book i wasn't really i presented the issue but then I kind of used motivation and a way to encourage someone that even if they're going through this, you know, there's some sort of, there's hope. And so I wanted that to be apparent. Um, and with that being said, I wanted all age groups, high school students, um, college students, even, even if a child um, in, in middle school may not read it, but a parent, I think this is also a parent's responsibility to Maybe if they don't want the, per the child to read it, but talk about the topics in the book. Talk about Queen Amina. Let's talk about your history. You know, so I made it for all age groups, even two year olds. Thank you, Um, I also had a question. It was really interesting to hear you um, walk us through the process of you writing the book. So when you were talking about your process, I was only thinking about other communities who do not identify as African or Black um, African American. What would you say to them as they're reading through the book? What do you hope for them to learn from the book? I think that's where the community comes into play. So the first story really does emphasize community and even community healing. And so with that, it's not just a black and white thing, but it's about the community. If we were to actually address these issues um, that let's say black women are facing, we can't leave our other communities. Allies are important. So I think that we need to incorporate the community as well in the process of addressing these issues. This issue, even though black women are facing these issues, there are other communities that are facing it, these issues. And these issues, even though like this book is about black women um, and it's about emphasizing black communities it's it's also saying that we as a community have a responsibility to address these issues that are there thank you um another great question um at this time if there are no others that would like to to ask anything we can go ahead and uh, get started with the book signing um, portion Um, I did want it because I haven't had the opportunity to pick up the book, so I am going to grab it today. So I read the book, I share the book, I start the conversation, we continue the conversation. What are next steps? Um, so in this room, there are organizations that are that focus on these particular topics that are in the book. And in this room, as the book emphasizes community, we need to start planning things as a community. Um, we need to take those conversations as a community and put it into action steps. So this will be a first step. And then we take that and say, OK, so what we, what can we do as a community? Maybe we can uh, march, rally. I don't know what we need to do as a community. So I think that the next step will be, let's get together as a community. When we get together, We'll figure out what solutions. I mean, we already have the solutions. I'm pretty sure we have the solutions. 2021. Um, so let's put those solutions into practice. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I hope this will be my final question. 
Uh, yeah, um, so as I was thinking again, and um, I remember you mentioned how the story is inspired uh, by a character in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, I was thinking, and I was like, oh, wow, the book is great. I don't know how to chance to read it, but I'm, I know it's going to be great. <laughs> and the book is in English, and perhaps you want to empower these women who are back home to you know, find out voice within them. So the book is in English. I was wondering, do you have future plans of producing the book in French or in Dalai to um, increase the chance of uh, these women finding their voices and having a chance to read this book? Do you plan to publish the book in, in the Congo as well, in other African countries? Yes, 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 absolutely yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, so the second story is where it takes place in Congo. And so if you read the second story, the second story is just not only in English. The, the second story is in Lingala, it's in Swahili, it's in Chiluba. And I did that on purpose. I think Yoruba was the only one missing, um, but next time. Um, the reason why, I got it from Chenyo Achebe, if you know who that is. He wrote a novel where in his, in his book, he mixed with his native language. And he basically said, if, if um, we are required to learn the language of the colonizer, the colonizers must learn our language too. So that's the reason why that, book, that particular story is in different language. But yes, there's gonna come a time where it's all in Swahili and Lingala and Chiluba, but it is at the same time. One more question, and then if there's anything else that anybody would like to ask her at the end, um, we can, you know, maybe, according to everybody's time, being respectful and mindful of that, we can, uh, at that time, maybe, they have uh, a few more questions asked. So one more for right now. Yeah. Black Rage. Um, how do you explain that to, to a white person? Because... I find it like, you know, when I was at work with my book, when a white person would see the title Black Rage, they think of it in negative way, like black anger, you know what I mean? Like, they just, how, how, how would you explain black rage to, to a white person or, you know, any other group? Uh, wait, do you, do you guys know that there's a book called White Rage? <laughs> Every single time I see it, I wanted to burn it. But no, that's just a different story. Um, if their rage can be validated, why can't our rage be validated? Why can't we be um, filled with rage? Because we have a lot to be angry about. And I just, <laughs> I mean, should I name it? Right. There's so many things that we need to be angry about. And the fact that we keep explaining why we're angry shows that there's also a problem on their part. So ignorance is actually a choice. So they choose to be ignorant in that position. Just tell them that, have you heard a book called White Rage? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but again, thank you both so much. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's... It's nearly impossible to not have some kind of strong emotion and want to do more, be, feel motivated and inspired to continue the, I mean, I guess, continue the good fight, right? Um, when you read the book and when you speak to, to her, it, it, it's amazing. Um, 
Again, now we will go on to getting the book signed. If um, you haven't purchased your books, how much are the books? $13.99 for the books. And cash, Venmo, all, all of the above. Perfect. So if you do not have a copy of your book and you would like to get one, um, you can come up here and purchase one, as well as if you do have your book, um, you can come and stand in line and get that signed as well. Okay? So go ahead and start the line here. Thank you.